In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, many of you know that um, I'm going to be taking a sabbatical. This is my last Sunday for a while. Um, and I'm going to continue in the Acts of the Apostles, but I realized in the reading of the gospel that Dan said, I, I hope that I can say with Jesus up to this point over the last 14 years, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you, or I've sought to. I've not always done that very well, but, uh, and I'm certainly not Jesus. Um, this sabbatical was supposed to start two years ago, um, when uh, the year after Robert had his first sabbatical in close to 20 years. And while Robert actually was still on sabbatical, some of you know my, my brother was tragically killed, murdered. And uh, so that was tough. And then my dad died three months later, um, and my brother was basically the executor for my parents' estate. So uh, I had not organized my sabbatical yet. I'm not good at, like, I want it to be perfect, and so it takes me a really long time to decide and um, so I asked the vestry, Robert in the vestry, could I take a month of sabbatical? This is two years ago now. Could I take a month and postpone two months to next year? And they said, sure. And I actually tacked on two weeks of vacation. So I had six weeks, and we spent a few weeks up in Maine uh, and time helping my mom out and stuff. So fall came, and the first of the year came, and we were hoping... The plan was to go to Italy. I had one other sabbatical, and it was in 1998, and spent a month in Israel and a week in Rome, basically. And Brooke and I were hoping to go back there and see some other places uh, in Italy, including Sicily, where my grandfather was from. Uh, but then the pandemic hit, and um, that wasn't going to happen. So I asked the vestry, could I postpone my two months to next year? And Robert and the vestry said, sure, if, as long as you take three months next year, which was very gracious and generous, and I appreciate that deeply. So then this year comes, and again, all this like sabbatical rest after some pretty serious, you know, affliction and turmoil. Um, and uh, we're, not, we're not going to Italy. So, um, but I just said, okay, Lord, um, maybe we're not supposed to go to Italy, third year in a row. Uh, what, what should I do? And, and in praying about it, and I, the phrase that I came to was, um, I want to keep growing. Brooke doesn't like this complete phrase, but I want to keep growing as a wise, safe, aging priest as I enter the final third of, you know, my life and stuff. Um, she doesn't like the aging part. She loves the wise and safe part. Um, and so that led me to, uh, I'm, I'm going to do some work at Spring Hill in their spiritual direction program. And I'm also, and this isn't actually during the three months except for some reading. This will be over the next year. God willing, because I haven't, finally heard that I'm in, uh, I'm going to participate in, so hold your seats on this phrase, in a 
a certificate called Narrative Focused Trauma Care. Narrative Focused Trauma Care. This is from the Allender Center. Dan Allender is a very gifted Christian psychologist and writer. And the, the, basically what that means is healing through story, through knowing your story and, and being able to sit with other people's story. Um, the big, not everyone's experienced the big T trauma, but everyone experiences hurts. A lot of us hide it well, a lot of us deny it, but every human being goes through hurts and loss and struggle. And so that's one way I, I feel led by the Lord uh, to experience my own healing and also to grow as a safe, wise, aging priest. Narrative and trauma. Actually, both of those themes are interwoven throughout the whole book of Acts. The book of Acts is a narrative. That's where we slot it in um, kind of the genre of biblical literature, which is important to keep in mind when you're studying the Bible. You know, poetry is not narrative, is not an epistle, is not the law. And so narrative is not always normative. In other words, we don't necessarily have to do everything that's written in the book of Acts. But when something is repeated, we might want to ask, that may be a part of the experience of the church for all time. And I want to highlight two of those things today, again, with a view toward um, the struggles that human beings face. I was struck a few weeks ago when the bishop preached from the end of Acts 4, which was that passage, which mo most of the passage was the disciples' prayer. Remember, Peter and John had been imprisoned and given a really hard time because they were proclaiming in Jesus the, and the resurrection. And when they came back, the disciples, and this is what struck me when the bishop said, they didn't pray for protection. He said, I would have prayed for protection. They prayed for boldness. They Literally, their prayer, they said, Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness. So that struck me. And then last week, the beautiful story about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch is actually set in the context of persecution. Philip is only where he is because we read in Acts 8, which is where the Ethiopian eunuch passage was, but going back to the beginning of that, of Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen, the first martyr. And then first, verse 1 continues, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then, <clears throat> then a few verses later, it says, the, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went to the city of Samaria to begin what I would call his evangelistic tour. He evangelized Samaria, and then 
He evangelized the first seed of Ethiopia uh, with the eunuch who was heading back to Ethiopia and to the queen's court there. And did you hear the way the epistle started today as Lori read it for us? Now, this is chapter 11, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered, it, it, this, is, this is an echo of what we just read in Acts uh, 8, 1 and 4. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's, so they were traveling north to sort of the area of Lebanon. Cyprus is still Cyprus. And Antioch was up kind of on the border of Syria and Turkey. And it says they were speaking the word to no one but Jews. The immediate context of this is that the first Gentile like radically came to the Lord in the previous chapter, right? Peter had a vision. The Lord spoke to him like, don't call unclean what I'm calling, you know, uh, good where I want you to reach out. And he goes to this Roman's house. And while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on him and they're prophesying and speaking in tongues just like happened to them. And, and, and so they, the, the people in Jerusalem, the leaders, start to give Peter a hard time until he tells the story. And then they're like, God's granting repentance to the Gentiles too. But that was just that one case. And here's where it begins to break out. The breaking out, Taylor pointed out that Acts 1-8 thing about the concentric circles. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Here we hear it breaking out to the ends of the earth. Not what I just read, but what I'm about to read. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which is actually Libya, northern Africa. So somehow they got all the way up to Antioch. Maybe they were in Jerusalem who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, and in this case that means Greeks, um, preaching the Lord Jesus. A beautiful, simple phrase. Preaching the Lord Jesus to non-Jews uh, and non-Greek uh, proselytes. These were, these were not... And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Okay. Let uh, be patient with me for one second while I geek on Greek. <clears throat> in verse 19, in that opening verse, when it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's actually a different word than we heard in Acts 8.1, where it said they were scattered because of the persecution. This is a broader word. This is more of the word uh, tribulation. It's usually translated tribulation or affliction. It's also translated burdened, uh, anguish, trouble. The word in uh, the previous one is more the, re the real persecution word, which has the idea of it 
being chased or pursued in order to be oppressed or harassed. This, like the background of this particular word where that is used right here, is the idea of pressure. Pressure, which is very uncomfortable and disturbing and unsettling. Why do I bring that up? Because we're not persecuted. We're not who we're praying for in our prayers of the people. We're not being... We, we, there may be difficulties and maybe there's things in the future coming, but we don't have people and authorities chasing us, pursuing us in order to oppress and harass and jail us and possibly kill us. That's the idea of the first word, persecution, in Romans 8.1. I mean, in Acts 8.1. This one is, that, is stepping back a little. L let's put it this way. <clears throat> I'm going to use the word tribulation. All persecution involves tribulation. But not all tribulation involves persecution. Does that make sense? Okay. And so where I feel like the Lord is leading for us just to consider is how does the church and how do people in the church, you know, we're trying to get perspectives on the church from the book of Acts. How does the church and people in the church respond to affliction and tribulation, both their own and those of others? Now, let me be clear. There's a lot more to be said about affliction and trouble than I'm going to say. Uh, a lot more to dig in about the mystery of suffering and, and all of that. I want to highlight two things that Luke in Acts seems to say repeatedly. And one is that affliction is a way that we experience and then are able to display the life, suffering, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the good, it says they were preaching the good, it, literally it's, it's the word evangel, evangelize in here. They were preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. And part of the message of the Lord Jesus is that he suffered. And God was with him and sustained and preserved him in his suffering and vindicated him finally on the third day and raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the Father. But that word suffering is in both of our creeds. It's a line in the, when the church distilled the essence of the second person of the Trinity. They put the word suffering as a part of what we need to know about Jesus Christ. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death. Okay. So as I pointed out, this word is translated different ways. Mostly tribulation and affliction. But Paul uses it about what people experience in marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7. He's like, my counsel is don't get married because married people experience worldly trouble. Look it up. Um, anybody ever experienced that here? Um, anguish, trouble. It, it's also, it, the, the burdened one was about financial distress. 
He says, I want you to give to those in need, but not to burden you, not to afflict you, you know, but in order to participate in the love of Jesus Christ for his whole body. So, th so the first is experiencing in our lives and being able to display through our own affliction and suffering the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we embody it. That we have learned to abide in Christ's love. That's how the gospel began. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. He said this hours before his suffering began. Abide in my love. Know my life. Know my presence with you. And then that can be like a part of what you share with others. I don't mean like a dismissive, well, God works all things for good. And, you know, maybe someone will come to Jesus through this suffering I'm, I'm having. But in a way, I am saying that. What's our heart? when we suffer, when we're afflicted. Okay, that's the first. Actually, uh, the second is the reference to the famine in here, which is actually another experience of affliction. It, it doesn't say the word affliction right there in this part, but actually earlier in the book of Acts, Stephen is telling the story of Israel. He's, he's evangelizing and teaching the leaders. Remember that. And he's the one who was killed that caused this, this scattering, the scattering which led to the seeds of the gospel being sowed in further and further regions. Stephen said, in telling the story, and when he got to Joseph and how how did Isaac and all of them get down into Egypt? He says, now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, same word. And our fathers could find no food. Affliction. In fact, he had said Joseph experienced affliction just previous to this. So here, that's the context here. There's this growing international church in Antioch first multi-ethnic church. And these prophets come because they'd heard what God was doing. And one of them foretells that there's going to be a famine over all the world. And then it says the disciples determined to send relief to Judea. Why? Why? How did they choose Judea? We, we don't know. It doesn't say, except, but we can assume they talked and prayed. And they thought about their brothers and sisters, other people who were followers of Jesus. And they knew, apparently, that those in Judea, especially the, the believers in Judea, maybe because they had sold their lands and distributed to those in need previously, had a need. So they determined to send relief, or literally that's the word diakonia, that's the word servant, or from which we get the word deacon. They determined to send service and ministry to those people. But they, they must have heard the, this 
prophetic word and then like huddle together and talk together. What do we do? What do we do in response to affliction coming to the whole world? What do we do in response to this tribulation that is, we are being told is about to happen? We will send relief to that one pocket we know is already and we'll send it by these two trustworthy men. So the, the, second, the second thing I think to note is what does the church do? What does the church do about affliction? About affliction? It notices it. It notices it. And it does what it can and 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 It said, God's eye is on those who fear him that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. That's a proverbial statement because it's not always true. But one of the ways it's true is he keeps them alive in famine because the church in Antioch sent relief to Judea. You know? Uh, I've, I've talked about this book by K.J. Ramsey. She's a young lady who, while at Covenant College, uh, began experiencing an autoimmune disease disorder. I don't think she ever says what it is in the book, but pretty devastating when it would strike her. Uh, I really commend it. It's, the book is called This Too Shall Last. Um, and like her tagline is she believes the human soul can have enough capacity to embrace both suffering and joy. But she writes, one thing she writes in the book is that it is through suffering, not in spite of suffering. It is through suffering that God extends his reign and rule to the world he so loves. And then she quotes N.T. Wright and his Surprised by Hope book. And she she quoting him, says, the method of the kingdom will match the message of the kingdom. That is, the message of the kingdom is Christ suffered, died, and was, and was raised, buried and raised. And the, the, our message will be embodied in our message, in the message of our lives. He goes on and said, the kingdom will come as the church, energized by the Spirit, goes out into the world vulnerable, suffering, praising, praying, misunderstood, misjudged, vindicated, celebrating, always bearing in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed. Paul, he is quoting there Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, which is the section where Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. 
so that the surpassing glory of this message about Jesus might be displayed through us. That's the passage where Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. The church, here's here's a takeaway. The church in Antioch didn't ask why. The church in Jerusalem didn't ask why. Why is this trouble happening? And too often that's where we go. Where's the sin? Where's the not right living? What do I need to repent of? What do they need to repent of? They asked the what question or maybe the how question. In other words, what do I do? How do I respond to affliction? My own or those in my church, in my family, my Christian family? What, not why? Being like scattered seed and pointing to Jesus, his suffering and resurrection. And loving the way Jesus loved us. Today's Mother's Day. Haven't given a nod to that yet. Thanks be to God for mothers. None of us would be here without them. One of the places the word affliction, tribulation is used is Jesus in the next chapter after we hear today, when Jesus is helping his disciples get ready for the trouble that's coming. They're already like, they're, they're starting to be mournful, they're concerned, and Jesus talks about, he, he relates what they're going through and about to go through to a woman in labor. And he said, and he, the ESV uses the term anguish. The anguish will ultimately give way to the joy of a new life. But the anguish is real. And a few verses later, Jesus said this, I have said these things to you. That This is right at the end of John 16. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. So in here, in the midst of affliction, Jesus is promising fullness of joy and peace. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Same word. It's a promise. It's a guarantee from Jesus himself. How does God want to use that with the understanding that he has overcome the world? Mother's Day, we recognize it's not always, it's not happy for every woman or every guy. Some, some experience the affliction of not being able to have children. Some experience the affliction of having a terrible mother. But consistent with the gospel message, we can know the life of the Lord Jesus in and through that and be able to display it in a unique way to the world that needs it. And secondly, if you know someone like that, it's another way to love one another as Jesus has loved us.
Jesus who suffered for us and who is coming again to make all things right and all things new. Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God.